What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing. With all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, And I'm coming to you from 
historic, scenic, lovely, beautiful Roan County, Tennessee. Glad to have you here along for the ride. Uh, time of the broadcast happens to be Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. And it is a particular historical note because today the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the cases of Biden versus Nebraska and Department of Education versus Brown. Now, the long-term stakes in these particular cases are actually pretty high when you put it in context, which, of course, the media is not likely to do. And, of course, politicians with a D at the end of their name uh, are certainly not going to be in any position to do so either. What uh, these politicians will tell you is that the question in these cases is, whether the President of the United States can use the HEROES Act to forgive up to a trillion dollars in student loans without congressional approval. Now, I would suggest that the real question is whether the executive branch will be allowed to take a clear, obvious, cynical lie and turn it into a politically motivated spending spree that negates 4% of America's GDP. And, in the process, signals that the limits on presidential power within the U.S. Constitution are null and void. We all need to call out Biden's ploy for what it is. A fiction that is actually a very real violation of his oath of office. Biden's claim is not an interesting interpretation or a tricky gray area or even a matter of perspective, despite you're going to hear all those descriptors. It is, in fact, a fabrication, a falsehood, a deception. President Biden does not actually believe that he has the power or authority to issue this executive order to wipe out the student debt. The lawyers at the OLC who wrote the memo arguing that Biden can do it, they don't actually believe that Biden has the authority. The Democrats in Congress who are insisting publicly that Biden can, they don't believe that he has that power either. The media, full of so-called journalists who seek to benefit from Biden's attempt here, they don't believe that he has the power and authority to do it. Nobody does. From the beginning, the case that Biden has tried to make has been transparently false. Nobody in America believes that the United States is in the midst of an emergency that justifies the invocation of the HEROES Act, because it's not. Nobody in America believes that the HEROES Act allows any president, Joe Biden or anyone else, to just cancel, alter, or diminish student loan debt, because it doesn't. And even if we were to play the uh, little leftist game here, even if we were in the middle of just such an emergency, and even if the HEROES Act did actually allow a president to to take it upon themselves to do this. How could anyone realistically argue that the college graduates that will be benefiting from this would actually qualify 
for such debt forgiveness. Reality doesn't change simply because the president or leftist politicians or the mainstream legacy media insist the contrary. In early 2021, the Department of Education explained that the secretary, I'm quoting now, the secretary does not have statutory authority to provide blanket or mass cancellation, compromise, discharge, or forgiveness of student loan principal balances and or to materially modify the repayment amounts or terms thereof whether due to COVID-19 pandemic or any other reason, end quote. Now, that statement was correct then and is correct now. Later that year, Nancy Pelosi herself, we played the audio clip dozens of times. Nancy Pelosi reiterated the very same point she said, not everybody realizes that, but the president can only postpone, delay, but not forgive student loans. It would take an act of Congress, not an executive order, to cancel student loan debt. This was also true. It was true then, and it's true now. Nothing has changed in the interim, other than Joe Biden suddenly claiming that he can and some of these same politicians, including Nancy Pelosi, now stating the contrary. Article 1 of the Constitution, well, it still says that, quote, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States. In the Congress, not the executive branch, not the judicial, the legislative. Article 2 of the Constitution still requires that the president, quote, faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States. That means that Congress passes the laws and the executive branch is expected to enforce those laws, not pick and choose which laws they want to follow, which ones they don't, decide if they're going to defend certain laws or not. They're supposed to enforce all duly passed laws. They're required to do so, not come up with a bold reinterpretation of an existing law. And I'll continue. The plain text the historical context, the previously unchallenged understanding of the HEROES Act itself are all in direct opposition to Biden's efforts to buy votes, and that is all this is for. Let's placate a certain group of the electorate so that they won't accidentally figure out that we, the Democrats, are actually the bad guys. So we'll just buy their votes. We'll pretend like we're the ones that have their best interest in mind. And again, that's all it is. Now, so far, so far, our judicial system has 
proved to be resistant to Biden's approach, which has ranged from everything from lying to bullying to attempting to avoid judicial review altogether. If the Supreme Court of the United States follows through as they should, and by that I mean making decisions guided by the Constitution, then this effort by Biden will finally be struck down. Anything else is yet another death knell of our republic. Anything else would be pretty dumb. And you know what else is dumb? Not being prepared when disaster strikes, especially when you've been warned over and over again, especially yet again when you have such great partners to help you be prepared for when disaster strikes, man-caused, natural, or any other. Partners like 4Patriots.com, just as an example. Right now, if you go to 4Patriots.com, you can find yourself looking at reasonably priced items that literally can be the difference between life and death in a bad worst-case scenario. We're talking about preparedness foods. We're talking about heirloom seeds. We're talking about water purification. And we're also talking about backup emergency power generators. Uh, generators like the Patriot Power Generator, which happens to be a solar generator. You know, solar, meaning that it doesn't use gas, so it doesn't have fumes. And actually, it's pretty quiet. It's quiet as a laptop. Plus, it's pretty lightweight. It Literally, you can pick it up. You can carry it around with you. You can take it camping. You can take it to a friend's house. Take it to a neighbor's house. You can even take it inside. Again, because no fumes. It's powerful enough to keep your phones running. To keep your emergency radios charged up if they need electricity. Certainly powerful enough to keep your medical devices going, and uh, even your refrigerator if that's what you need. And right now, you can go to 4 and use the code TAP, that's T-A-P-P, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including the Patriot Power Generator, which is a must-have as we go into summer storm season. Just go to 4 and use code T-A-P-P. To get your 10% off. That's the number 4. Patriots.com Use the code TAP. T-A-P-P. To get yours today. Uh, how's that for a segue boys and girls? Alright. Uh, Going to take the uh, mid-hour break. A smidge early. Just to make sure that I get it in. Because you know clearly we're only about 15 minutes into the show. So it's more of a quarter hour break. But we're going to go ahead and do that, and then we're going to be joined by Dr. Stephen Soloway. And uh, you're going to want to hear this conversation that I had with him. You guys, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back on the other side of this very brief break. Don't take my word. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain. 
if you really want to tap into the truth. Hey, Joe. This movement is trying to eradicate the real definition of a man and woman. If society allows them, they will eliminate our families and all righteousness. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Browns Coffee. Beginning in the 1940s, black Americans, for the most part, were very moral with a strong belief and faith in God. Despite the onslaught of Democrat racist brutality, blacks were on an upwardly mobile track. Most black Americans and Americans in general learned about and taught their children about right and wrong. They knew what a woman and a man is and how human beings came into existence. Black Americans also understood that to overcome the one-time never-ending torture of Jim Crow, etc., etc., that they could not be the same as those who were committing those evil acts. Today, many black Americans like Shannon Sharp of ESPN whined high heaven about oppression in America. Mr. Sharp says that they're so concerned about blacks in America and scream about white supremacy. Yet they roll into the black community via the Trojan horse of destruction, attaching the existence of black Americans to the LGBTQ plus movement that is being allowed to destroy the very principles that helped blacks overcome bigotry in the first place. God created both man and woman only. Deal with it. I'm Ron Edwards. Bean stocks designed specifically for people who haven't started investing yet or don't know how to do it or haven't been trained how to do it or are worried about investing in the stock market that they've never done before. It's a robo-advisor system that really simplifies the investing process. The challenge we all have is that as you work and you grow in your career, you have to put something aside for yourself when you retire, around 65 years old. And the idea of Beanstalks is to simplify that whole process. In other words, put aside 10% of your salary each week, maybe just $100, and let it go to work in the stock market for you. And what Beanstalk does is basically automate that process for you. Easy to set up. You can transfer directly to your bank account and puts it into exchange-traded funds, which are baskets of many stocks, which gives you diversification. That's the whole key, the idea that you can have this done for you weekly or bimonthly. But the most important thing is to start now and make it so that you are putting something aside for your own retirement. Beanstalks just makes it really simple to do. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. 
All right, everybody, I want to remind you to take a moment, check out the link down in the show description if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, If you're not listening to the podcast, if you're one of the folks listening on WCET or the Vera Network or the last frequency as this uh, broadcast is normally rebroadcast over there, uh, then come find the podcast please, and uh, check out the link that will take you to Blue Coolers. Now, Blue Coolers is clearly, easily the best value in super coolers. It's literally 10-day ice at half the price. It's the same quality, or in some cases, maybe even better quality than that brand that, you know, named after the Himalayan Sasquatch folks, but so much better in the price range that makes it the best value it is still winter but spring is literally just around the corner and blue coolers is one of those opportunity companies to help you to have a fantastic outdoor adventure and if you're not planning your adventures now you may not be able to work it into the budget later Uh, we are still dealing with a biden economy and i get it that's where the value comes in and that's where planning ahead comes in you gotta do both in the meanwhile just uh, follow the link in the show description visit blue coolers check out everything they have to offer not just coolers but also the 72-hour emergency backpack. It's a fantastic thing. Just please use the link in the show description so they know that I sent you. That's Blue Coolers. Use the link in the show description. That way they know I sent you. Hello, this is Stella Morabito, author of The Weaponization of Loneliness, and you're listening to Tim Tapp and Tap Into the Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with us as we got through that very brief break. It is now my very distinct honor and pleasure to welcome to the show an unapologetic truth teller, an actual medical MD, a man who has been on the front line of pushing back against big government, big tech, and of course, everybody who wants to control your health take away your choices and your rights. He's the author of Bad Medicine and his latest book, Medical Politics, How to Protect Yourself from Bad Doctors, Insurance Companies, and Big Government. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Dr. Stephen Soloway. Dr. Soloway, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, and I want to thank you for having me on the show. Well, Dr., I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the book and then jump into some examples of medical politics going on right now. So let's jump right in with the book. Uh, You called it medical politics. I have an idea of why it may be the case, but in your own words, why this book, this message right now? As a practicing physician who is on his own, who started a practice over 30 years ago, who used to have people walk in, tell me this problem, have me order tests, diagnose them, tell them, this is what you have, this is what you need to do, you're not disabled, you're gonna be fine, till today, you walk in the door, you've been to 
the hospital because somebody told you you had to go there, probably your insurance company. You went there, you waited all day, they couldn't help you. Then you come to my office, you tell me what you have because you were brainwashed. Then I tell you, you need the following tests. We find out that they're denied. We don't know why. We find out the insurance doesn't want to pay for them. We don't know why. We find out that the government who is censoring your health care by giving money to hospitals and insurance companies to buy the doctors and control them and take away the liberties of a thinking doctor because it's easier to audit a hundred or a thousand hospitals rather than 10,000 or a hundred thousand doctors. So the people that come to me who can't get the right medicine because they're not allowed, their insurance won't cover it because it's not on their formulary and their formulary is in line with somebody else's agenda, but not your care. Um, there are so many things that are so wrong with what could be such a good system that somebody who's inside really needs to write a book. So I thought, why not me? And a lot of the things that I've shared are absolutely a hundred percent. They are, it's a fiction book, but they are nonfiction. I include actual letters that I've had to write defending patients for tests that are denied um, unnecessarily or unlawfully, really, you know, when a, when a patient tells you that they have uh, pain here, there, and somewhere else, and you check the test and you confirm they have a certain type of arthritis, and the treatment for that arthritis is approved by the left FDA, and you say, well, okay, this FDA-approved medication by an approved doctor, and you order the drug, and you find out that uh, Cigna, Horizon, United Healthcare, whichever one you like, and you can name every one of them, they say, oh, sorry, that's not on our formulary. Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you want me to do? Well, you need to use what's on our formulary. Well, so my response is, sounds like you're practicing medicine without a license because I'm the one who had to sit there with the patient, find out what's wrong with them, and I'm the one who needs to make the decision as to what's best for them because I'm the one who needs to monitor them for side effects and problems. And I'm the one that has to help them if there's a crisis. You, on the other hand, Mr. Insurance Company, you're dictating what I need to do. And by the way, that person, first of all, is typically not a physician. And second of all, they're typically not educated at all. And if you do happen to get a physician, it's certainly not somebody within your field. And if it is somebody within your field, they're typically retired. So you're never talking to a peer on a peer-to-peer ever. In fact, the peer-to-peers are really business-related, and on that notion, I've requested the peer-to-peer be with the CEO of the company, and of course, they don't get on the phone, and of course, I've threatened to sue them for practicing medicine without a license, so um, you can imagine that these people definitely don't have me on their Christmas list, and um, I I put in the book... uh, Letters that I've written giving out, you know, home phone numbers and addresses of CEOs and medical directors who refuse to allow the proper treatment in uh, in exchange for what they want. In fact, uh, one of the carriers, which I pointed out uh, by real example using a photocopy, um, one of the carriers is telling the patients or asking the patients, if you'll switch to a generic drug, we'll give you a $50 gift card. Now, are you kidding me? You know, if a drug rep comes to wine and dine me with a slice of pizza and maybe a diet Coke with ice, uh, 
um, you know, you're not allowed to have more than a slice of pizza because uh, good old Ted Kennedy uh, and the Sunshine Act prohibits this type of stuff. So in any industry in the world, there can be advertising and marketing, not medicine, not if, not if you're on the right. If you lean right, if you're conservative, oh boy, uh, forget it. You're not allowed to think anymore and you're not allowed to make your own decision. You know, it's assumed that because somebody's going to buy you dinner or somebody's going to lecture you at dinner, that that's a paid advertisement and you're going to do what they say. No, that's not true. In fact, if you're, if you're a decent doctor, you know about the product before they ever get to you. And um, it's nice to have an interactive discussion sometimes with a, a field rep who calls on, you know, 20 or 50 doctors and, you know, you kind of share experience on the fly during a short lunch break, as opposed to maybe once a year, you run into colleagues at a conference or twice a year. And <clears throat> the whole, um, the, the whole essence of practicing medicine, which used to be a, a wonderful profession where you could think outside the box, which actually in medicine, if you don't think outside the box, you're really a terrible doctor. You're really limiting yourself. You're limiting your patients. You're practicing cookbook medicine. You know, if that's the case, then everything's black and white and there's only two diseases you can have. And don't bother thinking further down the list for the, uh, for the red herring or the zebra. Um, unfortunately, these rarities occur. And when you're the person who needs the health care and you can't get the guy who thinks or the girl who thinks, you know, everyone thinks they have the best health insurance. Everyone thinks they went to the best hospital until they need it, until they go. Once you go, you realize very quickly that there is no such thing as a best doctor. There is no such thing as a best hospital. You have to hope and pray that somebody is looking out for you and that you're getting adequate standard of care whether it's FDA approved or not, and somebody is there not typing into a computer and unable to think about who you are, but somebody who actually cares about what is going on in your care, your health, your um, blood tests, your urine, your chest x-ray, why are you short of breath? Why did something change? Somebody needs to be there. Now, 35 years ago, the doctors, myself, we were students, we'd, we'd be at the hospital, we'd have to sleep over, <clears throat> we'd learn, we'd, we'd pick each other's brains, we were constantly seeing interesting things. Somebody decided that that was an 80-hour work week. Doctors can't be on an 80-hour work week. In fact, doctors should, you know, like in the old days, every two, three, four nights, depending on where you work and what field you're in, you must sleep overnight. And you must take care of the people at night because that's how continuity of care is maintained. Now, the hospitals have hired so-called hospitalists or intensivists, people that work nine to five and just continually alternate eight-hour shifts. And they go to different hospitals. They never get to know the patient. There's no relationship whatsoever. So all these people who 20 years ago would go to the doctor and the doctor would say, you know, I think you have pneumonia. I'm going to admit you to the hospital and I'll see you tonight. He'd call the hospital and say, get a bed ready for Mr. Jones. And Mr. Jones would go there and they'd have his bed ready. They'd have his um, antibiotics and so on and so forth. And the doctor would come that night and see how the patient's doing. And the guy would go to sleep and blah, blah, blah. Now, 
you get admitted, your doctor says, oh, um, you're sick, go to the hospital. Well, I want to go to the other hospital. No, no, I'm on staff at this hospital. Actually, what they're saying is my salary is paid for by this hospital, and if you leave our network, I'm going to lose the system money, and they're going to dock me relative value units, and I won't get paid as much. So now you're part of the system. So I tell people, you want to go to an independent self-employed doctor because you don't want to be part of a system. Once you're part of a system, then you know, you're in prison, basically. You have to follow the rules of that system. You can be transferred only within that system. You can only get a referral within that system. You can't get the best care. You can't get what you need. There may be, you may need to have your spleen removed, but there may be nobody in your system with a spleen removing kit. They won't transfer you to another system because that'll cost them money. So you really have to know the ins and outs of who does what and where, because the, the choice, that doctor, your family doctor, the one that is telling you go to the hospital, by the way, he's not going to see you again because you're going to get admitted. And every eight hours, there's another doctor responsible for you. And you're not going to see the same doctor unless you stay there for about three weeks and somebody re-rotates. I myself was a patient, a cancer patient, a survivor of pancreatic cancer five years ago. Uh, because of medical complications performed to me, I was in the hospital for close to six months with a $700,000 bill. And it took almost two months before I saw the same nurse reappear. And I used to watch out the door. Everybody was glued to their computer. It is just pitiful. When I was in training, when I was working in ICUs and emergency rooms, everybody from the janitor to the doctor in charge had something to do with patient care and was not bogged down with paperwork, computers, and nonsense. Now, everybody is focused on, including teaching programs, these highly touted Ivy League teaching programs. All they care is that you learn how to document and chart notes. I mean, a board exam now for a doctor is probably, and I shouldn't say probably, because I've been recertified in rheumatology four times now, and then same for internal medicine, and the exams are on the computer, and of course they are medical in, in their their questioning. But the reality is, it's more about working the computer than knowing the knowledge for the field, and that's pitiful. Um, I'll give you a chance to ask me a question, because I could ramble all night, I think. And that's absolutely fine, Doctor. In fact, as we talked about before we got started, feel free to expand in any direction you want to. I think that makes for the best conversations. Basically, what you're saying is that for the longest time, we've had the effort for physicians and hospitals to find a way to make a profit. And that is largely due to political concern. Sometimes it's political uh, jockeying back and forth between the insurance company and the hospital or the insurance company and the private practice doctor. But it's really more than that because a lot of what is actually being addressed in those situations comes back to public policy. So in a lot of ways, it's the politics proper, if you will, the politicians at play creating the, those public policies that are pushing the insurance companies in a particular direction and also pushing doctors, nurses, and medical professionals of all kinds in order to move in the direction they're doing. Is is that a, an accurate statement? It is. That is a very accurate statement. And 
uh, government overreach, as you've alluded to, it, it is the culprit here. Um, the government overreach has forced socialized medicine upon us, and we are living in socialized medicine right now. And if you don't believe it, it's because you have not had a problem yet. And one of my favorite phrases, which I am currently copywriting, is your engine light will come on when you're 50 or thereabouts. And once your engine light comes on and you actually need medical care, good luck, pal, because it's not there for you. And um, the government overreach has decided that your visit is 15 minutes and 13 minutes are on the computer. And the medicines that you can choose from are not what you were taught, are not what you want. Uh, It is completely political. And if you want to say it starts at the White House, it does. Obamacare started socialized medicine. It was snuck in, but now it's here. What I don't like is this is a fact that prior to Obamacare, there were 100 million people on Medicare, Medicaid, 200 million people on private insurance, which is 300 million out of a population of 330 million. That's 90% of the people. Now, of the other 30 million that were not insured, let's go back to the Medicare, Medicaid group, the 100 million. 15 million of that 100 million were also on VA insurance. There's no reason for any human being to have two government insurances, Medicare and the VA. So you take 15 million of those plans, you switch them to 30, uh, 15 of the 30 million uninsured. Now you have a system that's working fine and only 5% of the population is not insured. Well, if $5 trillion could have been printed last year for COVID and it's, or two years ago for COVID and it's other related things, which will destroy the economy as it has and will continue to for probably somewhere between 20 and 40 years, I imagine. You can't tell me that there's a rationale for destroying a system that was working for most people and completely try to overhaul it in the name of 5% of the population. It just doesn't make any sense. There's no logic behind it. Yeah, we saw a lot of this destruction of the health system as it had been working before with the passage of the so-called Obamacare. We were sold this big lie that if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your insurance that you had before, you can keep your insurance. And unfortunately, what we saw was it became a lot more expensive for a lot of uh, people who were middle income, higher income. And it also elevated the cost of being in a private practice to the point that a lot of doctors have left private practice. They've started working for health systems primarily uh, as an effort to try and save money and cover malpractice insurance. And the people that are suffering as a result are those patients, right? Well, that that is a fact. And unfortunately, patients really don't have a choice. They can't keep their doctor. Um, they want to see, you know, their favorite doctor, but they find out that he's now part of that system that bought his practice and they have seven offices in seven counties and every month he's in a different county. So you really can't see your doctor anymore. You don't have a choice. The medicines are not covered and so on. All right, doctor, let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about some recent obvious instances of 
medicine and politics combining, uh, why you might need to be able to use the lessons from your book in particular. And let's start with the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Love to get your thoughts on how the government has handled that, especially considering you have a lot of citizens in place that are very concerned about the overall health effects of continuing to live in the area when you have these headaches and dizziness and all the animal deaths that have been documented and the fact that they're telling these people that the water is safe to drink even though whenever they're in town uh, what little they've been in town they're not drinking the water they have the bottled water they brought in what would be your take on this and what advice would you give to the people currently living there considering the government response? Um, first, the railroad has a lot of money. They pay a lot of lobbyists, and therefore they own the government. So the federal government, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, FEMA, and everyone else who's got anything to do with the federal government is um, with a, an agenda. And the agenda is to sweep this under the rug don't scare anybody. And when everyone dies of cancer, they'll say, oh, I, I, you know, I guess there was a, a problem. I guess there was some toxic waste or something like that. Well, we can learn from Hiroshima. We can learn from Chernobyl. We can learn from other places. Everybody in that town should have been evacuated probably the same day that this uh, vinyl chloride blew up in smoke. Vinyl chloride, when it's heated, turns to dioxin. Dioxin never goes away. Um, the fish are, are all shown in pictures to be dead. Uh, next, the cows and the pigs will be dead. And next, the wind, which blew 20 miles away, it'll be raining uh, poison and things will be dead there. And in five years, the cancer rate within 50 or 100 miles will be 900 times that of the normal, um, normal neighborhood. Nobody should be showering with normal water. Nobody should be forced to shower with bottled water. This is completely absurd. I mean, this is politics at its finest. You have a good lobby to pay people to be stupid, run, hide, be quiet, but don't tell anyone the truth. If I lived in that town and I could not afford to leave, I would be hitting my mayor, senator, congressman, governor, whoever, and I would try to mobilize all able-bodied people to force the government to buy me a home 100 miles away because that is not a place you want to be. It is dangerous. It is as dangerous as living in the worst ghetto where there's a shooting every night, except in this train disaster, there are many questions that come up, such as, why was that um, material being transported? Why were the rules to transport this more lenient than they used to be? How is it that such an event could occur in today's world? Why is it that nobody really responded and the news hasn't covered it? The list goes on and on, and none of it is good for the people that live in East Palestine and everything near it. And frankly, anyone living down the Ohio River, the Mississippi River, and any part of the food chain, and it's pretty, you know, the world has become a pretty small place. An airplane took COVID from Wuhan right to New York and California and everywhere else very fast. And the world came to its knees very, very fast. 
the same thing could be happening right now. And we're looking at it and literally we're doing nothing. And people are, you know, asking Joe Biden, why aren't you going? You know, the real answer is Joe Biden doesn't even know anything occurred. All he is, he was he, he was not elected president. He was implanted as the president. He doesn't know where he is or when he is. In my opinion, he has dementia, Lewy body dementia. It's my opinion. It's from his Parkinson's, which, again, is my opinion that that's what he has. Any doctor that I know agrees with me. Long story short, he's implanted there. The left wants him there. He's just right for the party. He's not only a yes man. They put him somewhere on a sofa and they tell him, have a nice day. I'm certain if you ask him about this catastrophe, he has no idea what you're talking about. And it's irrelevant, like most other things are to somebody who doesn't know what's going on. So I don't blame him. I blame everyone who's controlling him. And there's a long list of people controlling him on the left. And that's where the problems are. And this is unfortunately the way things are today. Okay, doctor, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was what is the state of modern medical care, considering the level of woke ideology that seems to have seeped in? It doesn't matter if we're talking about the so-called gender-affirming care. It doesn't matter if we're talking about instances like at the Minnesota University School of Medicine and their woke oath that they took. What has happened to the Hippocratic Oath? What has happened to the idea of first do no harm? What's even happened to such simple basic ideas that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? How do we literally get from this idea of providing the best medical care to everyone to now being selective and offering care based on equity and creating outcomes, because that is the direction it seems to be going. What do we do? Uh, how do we fix it? What is the overall threat to the state of medical care as a result of this? In 2023, yes, um, it is all gone. It's it's all gone with the wind. Sticks and stones now can get you in jail. I mean, sticks and stones will break your bones and words will get you in prison. And that doesn't seem to be returning to the norm anytime soon. Uh, gender destruction um, medically and so on. For now, it's here to stay. Um, it seems to be that this massive train has left the gate and there's nothing that can stop it. I like to be um, optimistic, and I like to think that the pendulum always swings back and forth. However, right now, the pendulum is swung probably as far left, certainly uh, in my lifetime, and I'm 60. Um, so I think in the last 60 years, this is the most far left things have ever been and the most destructive. And yeah, the Hippocratic Oath is no longer. And I can't explain to you why I don't agree with it. I don't know why anybody would um, have a notion of changing anybody's sex for any reason, frankly, unless they're also delusional. Nobody's addressing the mental illness that exists in society. There's a new drug every day, whether it's um, uh, cholesterol, high blood pressure, diabetes. We have no cure for any of these things, but we have 75 drugs for each one. And that goes the same for Motrin and Tylenol and all the lookalikes. But yet we don't have any good or new drugs in the psychiatry field 
to treat delusional personalities, schizophrenia, or any of this other stuff, because you know the definition of um, a delusion is it is a false, unshakable belief. That is the definition, unless they change the dictionary in the last couple of hours, days, weeks, or months, which they may have. But if you have a delusional personality, by definition, you have psychosis, you are psychotic. And if you have such a condition, you could be in a mental ward, you know, because you're out of control, or you can be migrating through society quietly. So the ones migrating through society quietly with psychosis are the ones that think it's okay to remove genitalia and transplant it and do this and do that and wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm not a guy anymore. I'm a sofa or I'm a woman or I'm a, a dog or a cat or an umbrella. You clearly can't think this is normal no matter who you are, left, right, or in the middle. You can't think this is normal. Even if you're the person, you must know that you have some psychiatric issue and you're just not getting the attention or the care that you need. So I have no answer other than to define the fact that this is an abnormal situation. And unfortunately, at the current time, the majority or at least the majority of people that open their mouth seems to be fine with all these problems. And everybody goes along with the problem and nobody's trying to change it, fix it, or complain because guess what? Everyone is now owned by the government. And if you're owned by the government, you better keep your mouth shut. Okay, doctor, let's uh, shift gears again and talk about a different story. Uh, it kind of broke over the weekend and of course, I know this is a topic that you have been very outspoken about in the past. Broke over the weekend that the U.S. Department of Energy is acknowledging that the most likely scenario for the creation of COVID-19 is that it was man-made and was the result of a lab leak at the Wuhan Institute for Virology. Obviously, this is something that all of the agencies of government have been demanding. It's just not even possible. Uh, we, of course, had Dr. Fauci uh, all over the airwaves. And, you know, I, I think part of it was a result originally of Fauci and company trying to cover their backside. But I'd like to get your ideas and thoughts on whether or not the slow roll of the acknowledgement is an effort to try to give Fauci enough time to have been retired and separated from the government uh, that they won't try to go back and hold him personally accountable for his role in this. I mean, uh, using U.S. taxpayer dollars in this situation, it seems like it should be a pretty serious, uh, pretty serious thing that leads to some pretty serious consequences. But then the timing here also makes me think that this is probably something to do with, well, I, I guess we would have to call it the performative politics as we see the Biden administration trying to look tough now against China because China is getting closer to Russia because the U.S. is against Russia and their support of Ukraine. Uh, it really feels to me like that's kind of going on. But your thoughts on all of that? Well, you threw a lot at me there, and I'm going to do my best. First, I'll tell you, uh, that's okay. But um, first of all, when my book came out two and a half years ago, Bad Medicine, I talked about COVID, and I said that this is germ warfare that was produced in China, 
and this was a test run. And the goal was to get rid of the protesters in Hong Kong without rolling tanks because China didn't want to be seen with another Tiananmen Square. And if they were, then the world would not want to do business with them. And maybe they'd be thrown out of the G20 or something like that. And um, as it turns out, in reality, this was the United States uh, virology lab that was placed in Wuhan because it was too expensive and too regulated to keep here. So guys like Fauci, who quite frankly, um, not a bright guy, really not. Somehow he's he's a politician. He's kept his name on textbooks and he hasn't seen a patient in 50 years. But even in his prime, he was not a bright guy. So between a curmudgeon and a dutard, somewhere along that path at this point, um, you know, once you get in the government, you know, you can't be fired unless you murder at least 15 people at the same time and you have 25 eyewitnesses. And even then you still might not get fired. So I'm really not sure what the guy's motive is, except maybe he wanted to run for president and didn't have enough uh, advisors or something like that. But um, again, this is another situation where the government allowed a situation to occur and they allowed it to occur in China, unregulated, costing less money. And biowarfare, this was a man-made virus, and I said that two and a half years ago. Um, it got out, and it's put the world upside down. And whether we recover in 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years financially, it's anyone's guess. Now, why anyone would do this? could only be in the name of socialism, communism, and complete totalitarian despot control. There's no other rationale why anybody could allow this to happen and not, you know, scream and yell and say, hey, you know, this is just the wrong thing that's going on. Um, again, you asked a really, really long question, and I hope I touched upon um, the salient points here. Yeah, I, you definitely hit uh, on uh, some of the more important points, but I'm still kind of interested in your idea of how much of this uh, slow acknowledgement is based on any level of sincerity and how much of it may actually be just performative politics in an effort to keep the American people supporting the Ukraine situation using a tougher-on-China look. Uh, they spent so much time trying to keep China off the hook, and now all of a sudden to acknowledge it, it just really seems like it has to be motivated by something other than a sincere desire to tell the American people the truth. Uh, I, I don't think that the U.S. government is uh, in the business of making apologies. I think that they're in the business of looking to cover things up. Uh, I don't see any apology coming anytime soon. Um, my feelings on Ukraine are very mixed. The Trump administration did provide some defensive warfare to Ukraine. Ukraine never wanted to be part of NATO originally, and then the NATO didn't want Ukraine. And everybody's um, a little bit shy when this guy Putin is constantly talking about nuclear weapons. You know, everyone's curious, what will a nuclear war look like? You know, somebody like myself sits back and says, well, we've had World War One, we've had World War Two, we'd number them for a reason. So we must be in line for a World War Three. 
I mean, after all, if there's no World War III, who's the government going to buy from? Is Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, and Raytheon all going to go out of business? Because, you know, God forbid, you know, we don't buy enough nuclear bombs and Minutemen missile and, um, you know, stealth bomber and this, that, and the other thing. So if we don't keep that supply line going, you know, the country's going to collapse. It seems to me that the only thing that keeps this country in business is military supplies, beer, and football games. There's not a lot going on. And it, that's the most sad thing I can say, that nobody seems to care about anything other than who's in control, who can get control, and who can force people to do what they don't want to do. And sadly, anybody who wants to eat who can't think, they take this stuff, they grab it, they run with it, and, and that's their Bible. It does seem like a rather sad fact of our current society that more people care about what's the latest news about the Kardashians or uh, what is happening at the Grammy Awards than political public policy that's affecting their health and their access to health care. Doctor, I'm so very glad that you are one of those people out there. We need more truth tellers. We need more people willing to challenge the status quo who aren't afraid of council culture. So thank you so very much for everything you do. Please let everybody know where they can find the book. Of course, you've got bad medicine and then you have uh, the political medicine and uh, is there a third book in the pipeline coming up soon? Uh, no, there's two books. There's Bad Medicine and there's Medical Politics. Both of them are available at badmedicinebook.net. And, of course, they'll be signed by me, personalized to you. And that's, again, badmedicinebook.net. Now, I suppose if enough people like my book, I'm sure that I could come up with you know enough uh, good information to write something else about more topics. But um, in fact, I got to tell you, the last chapter of each book is entitled um, Rheumatology for Dummies. And what it is, is a patient guide on um, topics such as rheumatoid arthritis, gout, um, uh, osteoarthritis, vasculitis, scleroderma, myositis, and all the things that people out there have and they don't really know about and maybe they're shy to ask their doctor or maybe their doctor is employed by a facility and maybe the doctor's not allowed to tell them unless they come in and pay a copay. So I outline all this stuff in addition to my political opinions about all these things that we've spoken about tonight and much more. But badmedicinebook.net for a signed copy of the book, either one or one or the other or both. All right, doctor. Thank you so very much once again. I appreciate your time. And I do hope we get a chance to get together again soon and uh, continue our conversation. I've really enjoyed it tonight, sir. Anytime you call, I'll be available for you. Okay, I will definitely take you up on that. In the meanwhile, uh, keep up the great work, and God bless, sir. Godspeed to you. Thank you very much. You the same. Bye. All right, so that was my conversation with Dr. Stephen Soloway, and as you can tell, he does not pull punches. I highly recommend you spend some time uh, looking online, seeing some of his other interviews. Uh, he, like I said, he does not pull punches. He doesn't hold back. He is an unapologetic truth teller, and he is about making sure that you know the truth. Uh, I want to take a quick second before we uh, shift and reset for the hour uh, to remind everybody that starting this Friday, 
it's silly me, I thought it started last Friday until Doug told me on air. Uh, we are doing the live show again, and we will be part now of the K-Star Talk Radio Network. Uh, so you now have the options to tune in to K-Star, uh, whether you're looking at kstarradio.com, I'm sorry, kstartalkradio.com, or if you want to listen uh, over on uh, the uh, other apps that you can hear KSTAR on, uh, they certainly uh, have a multitude of options that you can indeed listen to, including uh, live stream uh, and then talk stream, and part of the talk right section on there. Uh, but uh, definitely looking forward to having the live party go a little bit further and uh, still waiting to get uh, full verification, but fully expect that I'm going to have two great guests this week. Uh, I do have locked down for next Friday already a great musical series of guests, so should be a lot of fun there. Uh, anyway, let's go ahead and uh, reset for the hour. You guys don't go anywhere. I will be right back after this very, very brief break as we reset. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. All of this, as more than half of Americans think President Biden will go down as one of the worst presidents in American history. I keep forgetting I'm president. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in our number two of today's broadcast. So very glad to have you along for the ride. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, time that we are actually doing the broadcast happens to be the last day of February. Black History Month is now waning, and Women's History Month is now about to take full effect. And, you know, I always just kind of thought we should embrace a shared history, but obviously that's my white's misogynistic supremacy thinking showing, so I apologize, <laughs> except for the part that I don't. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the first hour. Uh, if you happen to be listening on WCET-FM in Columbia, South Carolina, or if you're listening on The Last Frequency, or if you're listening on the Vera Network, and you, for some reason, are just now tuning in, and you missed hour number one, you definitely want to go back and uh, listen to the podcast and hear my conversation with Dr. Stephen Soloway. Uh, he... We covered a lot of topics together, and I just, I love his no-nonsense, no-hold-barred approach to just telling you what's on his mind, including his diagnosis of Joe Biden. <laughs> so, uh, if nothing else, it's worth hearing him frankly give his medical opinion there, even if you don't enjoy the rest of the conversation, but I think you will. Uh, especially if you're somebody that's tuning in on the regular. Uh, 
Now, I mentioned Joe Biden so that I can segue into a story about Joe Biden. But before I do that, I do want to mention once again today's sponsor, 4patriots.com. Now, if you go on over to 4patriots.com and start taking a look around, you're going to have a chance to see emergency preparedness food items. Uh, you can store up on that. Heaven knows they're going to be a valuable asset to you as we continue down the Biden economy and as we move into storm season, as we transition from winter into spring and spring into summer, uh, at least that much the left can't stop in any real way. Although they will keep insisting it's all a result of man-caused climate change. Eh. What can you do? Uh, if you'll boogie on over there, you'll have an opportunity to see the the food. You can see heirloom seeds. You can come across uh, water purification, uh, all kinds of things that are certainly good to have in the event of a emergency or uh, a disaster, whether it's man-caused or natural. And so what I would recommend you do is you can either follow the link in the show description, which will take you to a specific page set aside for our show, showing you their current deal that they're offering on the Patriot Power Generator. And, you know, in the event of a natural disaster, you're going to want to have a backup power generator. But you want to avoid what happened to Craig and his family. You see, Craig, it was uh, a good husband, a good father. He was out here trying to do the right thing during Hurricane Ida, and he went and bought a gas generator. He fired it up, but during the night, unfortunately, deadly carbon dioxide seeped out of the gas generator and into Craig's home. It poisoned his wife and his children while they slept, and the sad part is Craig is not alone. Uh, according to the government, uh, although, you know, I don't normally trust them in this case, this one is factually true. Uh, they're, they're trying to warn everybody, but it happens to thousands of Americans. Thankfully, uh, it's only uh, tens, dozens that uh, face a serious level of carbon monoxide poisoning that takes lives. But even then, that's way too many. But thousands of people are affected by carbon monoxide poisoning every year. And as a result, how do you balance being prepared for emergencies and disasters and protecting yourself from carbon monoxide poisoning? Well, the thing is here, what happened to Craig? It doesn't have to happen to you. It doesn't have to happen to anyone at all. And that's thanks to a brand new generation of portable, safe, silent, and 100% fume-free generators. Uh, all these generators are now available to all Americans, even those of you out there who probably think you couldn't afford it. They've got a great payment plan in place. You need to check it out. Now, the Patriot Power Generator is solar. It doesn't use gas. So it doesn't have fumes. And instead of being loud, it's as quiet as a laptop. Plus, it's so lightweight, you literally can just pick it up and take it with you wherever you need to go. Uh, you want to take it camping? Great. You need to go over to a friend's house because their power is out. You want to help them? Not a problem. And uh, you need to take it inside to keep somebody's refrigerator working? 
guess what? Again, no fumes, so yes, you can. And it's powerful enough to keep your phones charged, your medical devices operating, and I think I already mentioned the refrigerator. Right now, you can go visit 4Patriots.com and use code TAP, that's T-A-P-P, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, and that includes the Patriot Power Generator. Just go to the number 4, Patriots.com, and use code T-A-P-P to get 10% off. That's 4Patriots.com. Use code TAP, T-A-P-P, to get yours today. Now, I already hinted that Joe Biden is going to be the source of our next story, except it's not so much about something Joe did, although he's had plenty of it. Uh, you know, coming to the end of Black History Month, uh, Joe was having his moment where he was hanging out and celebrating Black History Month and made, I'm sure, what will be one of the most well-remembered uh, things uttered by a sitting United States president saying, I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Well, at least he got half of it right. He's definitely a white boy. And hey, I'm glad he knows the difference between uh, a man and a woman because so many in his party don't these days. But no, that's not what I want to talk about. Just want to kind of pass by that in brief mentioning. What I do want to talk about is the fact that he has announced officially today, time of the live broadcast, that he will in fact nominate Julie Sue. Uh, if you're wondering who that is, that's somebody that actually oversaw billions of dollars in pandemic relief that ended up being fraudulent. Uh, she oversaw the disbursement of pandemic relief fraud during her time as a senior official in California. All right, so anyway, the point here is Joe Biden is going to uh, nominate her to replace Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, who is, of course, leaving. Sue, who has served as Deputy Secretary of Labor under Walsh, Walsh, since July of 2021, previously worked as Secretary of the California Labor and Workforce Development Agency. Uh, Biden, of course, said in his statement, I'm going to quote him now, it is my honor to nominate Julie Sue to be our country's next Secretary of Labor. Because, you know, obviously, uh, she's a woman. And that qualifies her. Now, I wonder if Joe's missed the memo where people of Asian descent are supposed to be considered Caucasian, but, but she's still a woman. So she's on the intersectionality coalition. She's just not very high on that intersectionality coalition. So what are you going to do? Sorry. Sorry, Julie. Anyway. He's very proud to be nominated, very honored to be nominated. Uh, he continued in the statement, over several decades, Julie has led the largest state labor department in the nation, cracked down on wage theft. Really? Did, is that what she did? <laughs> Sorry. Fought to protect trafficked workers. Really? Uh, don't 
I don't remember seeing that happening in I Anyway, I, let's stay with what Joe said. She also increased the minimum wage, created good-paying, high-quality jobs, and established and enforced workplace safety standards. But did she? Is that really a thing that happened uh, during her tenure in California? I mean, you guys tell me. I, there's a lot of people in California listening uh, on the regular. California is always, when I'm looking at the stats for state-by-state uh, -state comparison, California is always in the top three. Has never dropped out of the top three since the first day of the show. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, uh, especially in the earliest days, and even now still on a pretty high percentage base, a lot of my guests are from California, and a lot of the political candidates who come on the show have been from California. So you guys, you know, you can come to this broadcast to get information that's specifically directed to you and helpful in you determining your selections to vote for. And I'm kind of proud of that. So all you California listeners out there, feel free to reach back out to me and let me know if this is a thing that happened while Julie Sue was head of the uh, the labor board out there. Because I think that would be fantastic to find out. It would certainly sound like she's instantly, easily the most qualified person in the Biden cabinet uh, of any of the people he has especially since the majority of these people have been selected either because A, they're a woman, B, uh, they're a minority slash person of color, uh, C, uh, somewhere else on the intersectionality coalition as in a member of the LGBTQ plus carrot sign, Ember Sam, uh, whatever new thing they've added to the list. Uh, the problem is, like with Mayor Pete, that's literally the only qualification uh, that he has to get his job. And he's not the only one in the Biden cabinet that uh, that's the only qualification they have. Oh, such a great accomplishment. Uh, thank you, Corinne Jean-Pierre, for reminding us what a great accomplishment that is. Uh, Joe Biden uh, randomly picked some folks out of a hat because of certain traits, not because of any merit-based qualifications. Uh, so, you know, fantastic if you don't expect the federal government to do anything. Not so good if you, I don't know, live somewhere like East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, Al, if you happen to be a longshoreman in California uh, a few months back when we were having all of our supply chain issues, you know, when stuff was still coming in, but nobody could unload the ships. You know, things that you would expect a transportation secretary to be hands-on and helping. Uh, but, sorry, uh, Mayor Pete was way too busy uh, being on paternity leave, uh, getting to know his new child. Uh, clearly helping his, well, his husband. Um, I don't think that works the same. I'm not sure that that's even what paternity leave was meant for. Anyway, I digress. Walsh is departing the Labor Department to lead the National Hockey League Players Association. 
the labor union that represents athletes in the NHL. His tenure, of course, was marked by rail unions threatening to enact a nationwide strike ahead of the midterm elections, which, of course, led to the Biden administration negotiating an agreement, uh, granting workers 24% pay raises and more robust health benefits, or at least that's what they keep telling us, even though a good number of these uh, unions still turn down the negotiated settlement. Uh, there's been further negotiations since, and it looks like when the federal government started threatening that they would force a settlement instead of having a negotiated one, uh, they came back to the table. But it's funny how folks still want to give full credit to the Biden uh, negotiations as being what solved the problem when it really didn't at all. Anyway, Julie here, she would be the first Asian-American member of the Biden administration's cabinet, if she's confirmed by the Senate, of course. And again, I'm thinking that has a lot to do with the fact that the left now really does consider uh, people of Asian descent to be Caucasian adjacent. That's literally a phrasing that is used in describing these folks. Uh, not that long ago when uh, Kenny Zhu was on with uh, me, we were talking about his book, An Inconvenient Minority, uh, talked very uh, extensively about that very concept. And, you know, I, I was trying to let him take the lead and discuss and take it where he wanted to go. And I feel like I kind of dropped the ball a couple of times in that interview, but it's still worthwhile to hear Kenny talk about it. Uh, so if you missed that particular broadcast, please go into the archives. It's a pretty easy show to find. But, uh, Again, uh, the only thing that Julie has going for her as far as checking off one of these little uh, intersectionality uh, checkboxes, the only qualifications to be in the Biden administration is the fact that she's a woman. She doesn't get to say being Asian matters. But the left will still point out that she's the first Asian-American member of the Biden administration. They can't even say she's the first one because Asians... As a group, and here I'm going to propagate a hurtful stereotype. <laughs> it's not hurtful at all. It's a compliment. Uh, generally speaking, uh, tend to excel at whatever they decide to pursue. They put in the work. They put in the effort. They learn what needs to be learned. And they typically do well, which is why... They're not well thought of uh, amongst the left because they need an intersectionality built on people that must depend on the federal government. That's uh, not a thing for the average uh, American of Asian descent. Uh, they typically are, uh, from a very young age, driven, uh, pushed hard by parents, and they accept the ideology of, uh, if you want anything, you should expect to work for it. And if you want more of a thing, if you want to be successful, then you have to be prepared to work harder than the bare minimum to be considered getting it done. Don't even know I went down that ramp. Anyway, the uh, thing here is, if the Senate does confirm her, 
we do have to go back and remember that she has previously received criticism for indirectly overseeing the California Employment Development Department as one-tenth of the $114 billion in pandemic relief claims that was handled by the agency involved fraudulent activity. An additional 17% of the benefit payments were made to accounts that were frozen for an investigation. They still went ahead and put money in those accounts, even though the accounts couldn't do anything. The total amount of fraud could have therefore surpassed $31 billion. Uh, this according to a January 2021 report from the San Francisco Chronicle. Not exactly a bastion of conservative thinking. Not somebody who's likely to do a hit piece on someone that they would deem to be part of the team on their side. Quoting here, uh, there is no sugarcoating the reality. This is Sue, again, talking to reporters after the revelations of the, uh, the fraud. She was talking to the Los Angeles Times at the time, by the way. California has not had sufficient security measures in place to prevent this level of fraud. And criminals took advantage of the situation. Uh, remind me again, Julie, whose job was it to put those security measures in place? I mean, I may be missing something here, but wasn't that you, you know, being in charge? Why is it that the left wants to be the boss, but never actually wants to be in charge? And, and if you get my meaning there, people who want to be the boss think they're in charge, but then they don't typically provide a little thing that we call leadership. You know, they talk a big game, they use the right words, they get the right credentials. By rights, they should be capable of leadership, uh, at least a lot of them, especially the more academically minded ones. But they just... They talk the talk sometimes, but they just don't walk that walk. They don't do the things necessary to become an actual honest-to-goodness leader. They don't build the personal relationships with people that can't help them move up, provide that upward mobility professionally, whether you're talking about a career being a part of the bureaucracy or a career involving uh, elected office or maybe some strange hybridized combination of the two. I'm going to start out in the bureaucracy and then move to elected office, however you want to play that out. But uh, as far as their co-workers, uh, their subordinates, uh, they don't provide the kind of leadership by example that actual leaders do. So, you know, clearly, well, uh, the state of California didn't have the right security measures in place, and clearly there was nothing I could do about it. I was just the one in charge of the department. Now, maybe, maybe she does have some legitimate argument there. I'm not as familiar with how 
the laws affect this department within California. I'm way more familiar with how it works here in Tennessee because, you know, obviously this is where I am. And this is the kind of thing that can change drastically from state to state. Uh, California does have the type of legislature and presently governor that would love to stick their thumb in that pie and prevent the actual department head from being able to do their job when it comes to something like this. Oh no, give the money away. We must buy more votes. So maybe she didn't have too much. But again, I don't recall. And, and again, you California listeners can correct me on this if I'm wrong. Or you can let me know how right I am. Either one, feel free to reach out. I don't remember seeing Julie out there screaming from the, the hilltops. Uh, screaming from the Sierra Mountains down uh, across the state, uh, demanding that the legislature make changes or that the governor sign an executive order giving her the authority, if she didn't have it before, to actually step up and, you know, typically do what we would think of as being her job. And, and that's only assuming, because I'm playing their game, pretending maybe she has a legitimate argument, but something tells me this is probably a lot like the bureaucratic state everywhere else, and that is, well, yeah, I should have done it, but I didn't think about it, so I'm just going to say we weren't ready and act like it was a problem outside of my control. Now, the uh, funniest part, though, she she didn't blame the state legislature. She didn't blame the governor. She did, however, blame the Trump administration for purportedly neglecting to offer adequate guidance on distributing the resources and countering fraudulent claims. Now, if you'll recall, if you're a longtime listener of this show, you heard me at the time criticizing the fact that the way they were rolling out all these different relief packages, it was a bit much. Now, I did say multiple times that at the very least, when it comes to the uh, unemployment type of things that uh, they were offering out, these bonuses and supplementals, at the very least, this was money going back in the hands of taxpayers. If you're going to put hands, uh, money in the hands of the American people, particularly those who are at greatest risk or those who pay in the most taxes, then there is at least that small amount of merit to the program, but I wasn't real happy with how they were setting this out. But the the argument from the Trump administration was they wanted to make the funds available. They did not want to get in the business of the states because they understood if they're going to do this through unemployment, then uh, the unemployment benefits are run and operated by the states, which means you're turning federal funds over to the states and they're supposed to do whatever it is that they do. So the argument about inadequate guidance, uh, it's, it's erroneous at best. Okay, uh, best case scenario, it is a lame excuse where either A, she's admitting that she doesn't understand what her role was, she doesn't understand how states uh, are still responsible to operate state programs even when they get federal dollars, or she's just desperately looking for a fall guy, and if you happen to be on the left, well, 
the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, is about as good of a scapegoat as you're going to come across, isn't he? Yeah, she literally said, and I'm quoting now, it should be no surprise that the EDD was overwhelmed, just like the rest of the nation's unemployment agencies. And we now know that as millions of Californians applied for help, international and national criminal rings were at work behind the scenes, working relentlessly to steal unemployment benefits using sophisticated methods of identity theft. And, oh yeah, uh, some of them were so sophisticated, they just filed a claim. <laughs> there was a lot of fraudulent claims that was nothing more than them just saying, well, uh, you're making a big deal about this being available. I'll give it a try. And that happened. Now, that's not to say that there wasn't some legitimate, sophisticated uh, criminal activity as well. But according to the numbers I've seen, a little less than half of the overall fraud was nothing more sophisticated than just filing a claim. And it was up to the state to do their due diligence to see if they qualified, to see if they were eligible. They didn't bother to do it. In a case like that, you would almost be able to make the argument, it wouldn't hold up in court, but I'd probably be willing to make the argument just the same, that the fraud was actually committed by the state of California in those cases. Because, you know, if you just see something's available and you know you have to qualify for it and you file hoping that uh, that somehow you may qualify and they don't do their due diligence then that's kind of on them right now fraudsters may indeed have stolen as much as 60 billion dollars from the various federal unemployment programs enacted by the uh, lockdown error stimulus bill that, of course, is according to a report from the Government Accountability Office. Other estimates predict uh, $400 billion, or half of the unemployment funds approved by the federal government were ultimately lost to fraud. That's a lot of money. Anyway, the appointment of Julie would occur as some lawmakers attempt to garner answers on the use of stimulus funds. So that might provide an opportunity for some Republicans to uh, ask some very pointed and embarrassing, potentially, questions that might actually knock her uh, appointment uh, off track. Wouldn't it be sad on the heels of a famous derailment that the administration wasn't prepared for, that now a metaphorical derailment may uh, be just around the corner. In fact, uh, a lot of House Republicans on the uh, Ways and Means Committee, they've already issued multiple requests for hearings about the, the fraud over the past two years. Uh, Democrats have consistently blocked the request to examine the extent of fraudulent activity. And uh, it does make you wonder, why? Why are Democrats not wanting the truth to come out? Could it be because a lot of them might have taken advantage of fraudulent activity. 
I don't know. I surely, surely I must be kidding, right? Uh, there's no way any of these people would lower themselves to such ridiculous levels. I mean, it's not like there's any currently setting members of the house that had married their brothers and committed immigration fraud. It, it's certainly not as if any current setting members of the house have repeatedly spouted off how socialism is the, the future of America. Uh, it's not like there's any anti-Semites openly sitting in the house right now. No, 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 none, none of, all of that's true? Oh man, I'm, I'm producer's whispering in my ear. Uh, evidently, evidently all those things are a thing. So maybe, maybe there was fraud that they're trying to hide because it would lead to some of their own bank accounts. Anyway, quote from uh, Jason Smith, American families whose wages have eroded under President Biden's inflation crisis have watched as hundreds of billions of their hard-earned tax dollars were lost to criminal activity and fraud because Democrats refused to acknowledge the problem and repeatedly rejected Republican efforts to put basic safeguards in place to protect against this activity. <sighs> Congressional Democrats walked away from their oversight responsibilities of getting to the bottom of how this happened, what they could do to prevent it, and even how much has been fully lost, leaving criminals to profit off the backs of taxpayers. Oh, well, you know, it's kind of, kind of the norm, isn't it? That's, that's typically how it's done. Every day, a little more of the same, right? All right, let's go ahead and take the mid-hour break. Uh, got Another story that I want to spend some time talking about, and I hope to at least touch on one more before we call it a night. So you guys don't go anywhere. I will be right back uh, in just a moment or two. Stay with me. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Americans are continuing to leave high-tax states like New York and moving to lower-tax states like Florida and Ohio. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. 
As sovereign Americans stream out of California and all high-tax states, I find it alarming that the Biden administration and other extreme leftists like Chucky Schumer are all proposing to raise taxes on wealthy, productive Americans, which is basically increasing the already high degree of punishment against those who succeed in society. Even more egregious is the Biden plot to slap a 3.8% income tax increase on the earnings of small businesses. Already, at least 45% of small businesses have been shuttered due to the fake science-based lockdown during the Corona China virus scandemic. Some economists have predicted that up to 65% of all small businesses may shut down unless there is a quick reversal of Biden's already enacted oppressive regulations and executive orders. If the Democrat socialist pigs have their way, Americans who want a better life may soon immigrate to less oppressive nations. I'm Ron Edwards. Brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Second Skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact-reducing products. At Second Skull, we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it. With an estimated 2.8 million Americans sustaining a traumatic brain injury each year, and a half a million children being treated in the ERH year for a head injury, there have been recent declines in athletic participation levels. We believe that concerns and fears of head injuries are factors contributing to these declines in activity levels. Second Skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete. Our product line of thin, lightweight, breathable, and practical solutions are each tested at independent and accredited laboratories. These products are patented and proven. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. All right, want to take a moment real quick to uh, ask you guys a serious question. Do you need to supercharge your memory? Do you need more energy? Is there any type of supplements at all that you think might be helpful? Whether you're talking about daily essentials, memory improvement, stress, sleep and relaxation, focus and energy, mood support, immunity, whatever. Superfoods, probiotics. Do you just need some uh, information about your general health? Books, audio, visual, posters, PDFs, uh, even even public television packages. All of these things are available, including blog posts on all of these topics from Dr. Daniel Amen. That's the guy behind BrainMD. I'm going to put a link in the show description that will take you to BrainMD that will let you know all of the things you need to know about this company, and it's going to let them know I'm the one that sent you. So I'm going to ask you to use that link. Now, you can look them up. Uh, you can check it out. They've got great products, and they're doing good stuff. They even have a free quiz that will let you know what 
brain type you are and will help match you up with exactly the best type of supplements you might actually need for your health. Uh, please, uh, for your well-being, it's the kind of thing that you need to do just to keep your health at maximum. Uh, again, click the uh, link in the show description and visit BrainMD. I'm Christina Bob, author of Stealing Your Vote and attorney for the Donald J. Trump for President 2024 campaign. And you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth. Love is all those things and more. Uh, Christina Bob, recent guest on the show, well, definitely big time attorney for the Trump campaign, and man, she's earning her bucks right now. That is for sure. Uh, <laughs> everybody's going after Trump, trying to take him out, but at the same time, they don't want anybody else to be the candidate from the Republican Party either, because number one, they still mistakenly believe he'd be the easiest guy to beat. You would think Hillary learned and taught the Dems better than that. <laughs> but they also, if you happen to be legacy media, you love the clicks, the reads, the tune-ins, your opportunity to talk about the orange man who's bad at ratings, ratings, ratings. Right? Anyway, Christina's got her work cut out for her, and uh, I appreciate her having come on recently. All right, with other things that I'm appreciating, I appreciate people that try to bring awareness to things that the left have been pushing that are dangerous, and yet they continue to deny the dangers. And they actually try to act like you and me, for even asking a question about it, let alone taking a stand against it, that somehow we're the evil ones. And right now I am, of course, talking about an upcoming event that's intended to bring awareness to the growing number of children and adults who no longer identify as transgender. And uh, evidently this uh, D-Trans Awareness Day uh, has been kind of an ongoing thing for the last few years. But finally, they're really picking up uh, their participation level. In fact, they're expecting their largest turnout ever based on uh, all the uh, commitments to show up that they have. So uh, anyway, this is an event that was organized by a nonpartisan group of parents and allies uh, known as Our Duty. Uh, this event is scheduled to take place at the California State Capitol in Sacramento on Friday, March 10th. Uh, the event is geared towards raising awareness of the growing population of minors and adults that have been harmed by gender ideology and the chemical castrations and surgical mutilations uh, that they call gender-affirming care. Uh, 
this is a, a notion, you know, we talked a little bit about it with Dr. Uh, Soloway, uh, and uh, it, it doesn't matter. I need to bring on more medical professionals. We've had Walt Hollier on the show, someone that's actually went through this in his life. He transitioned and lived uh, several years as a woman, and it it only took a little while for him to realize after these years that that wasn't the answer. It was never the answer. It wasn't the solution. He had trauma. He needed to deal with the trauma, and he has since detransitioned, and he now runs a ministry along with his uh, wife. Uh, trying to help other people that are in the same situation. So he's one of the people that's on the front line of this movement. But now it is genuinely a movement, and it's one that needs to be recognized, and most importantly, needs to be recognized for what it is. Folks that are trying to help people who have been victimized by leftist ideology. They're not haters. They're not anti-LGBTQ+. They don't come... Uh, into this with hating people that are different. They're legitimately trying to save lives because the one thing that we don't have solid numbers on yet, but the earliest numbers that we're starting to get certainly seem to support the idea that for as high as a rate of suicide that existed within the so-called trans community before this major push, the people that actually go through with some level of medical transitioning typically tend to have an even higher suicide rate. It doesn't solve the problems. The problem is of an emotional, mental level. The issues come from some level of trauma a majority of the time. It still technically hasn't even been completely removed from the mental health uh, uh, I can't think of the, the word, what they call the book, uh, but it's essentially the professional guidance book with the, the descriptions and standardized treatments, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Anyway, this affirmative care model, uh, it's been embraced by so many medical organizations in the United States without question now, and, and I express the fact that I believe it has uh, uh, kind of a, a three- pronged deal with why they've accepted it so much. Uh, a lot of the people in a position of authority and power have been uh, indoctrinated by the left through their time in university. They're under pressure from politicians who are in turn under pressure from the uh, leftist paymasters to, to push this kind of ideology. And then I do think there's a huge profitability aspect here as well, because if you start on hormone treatments when you have transitioned, then you have to stay on them the rest of your life. If you have the surgical mutilations, quite often there has to be ongoing uh, medical care for the follow-up visits that just, they don't actually ever end. Once you're on that path, you're stuck. A uh, lifelong commitment on your part uh, many, many dollar bills uh, for the people who've done this to you. Anyway, according to the event flyer, the uh, D-Trans Awareness Day is in fact intended to honor those that have been harmed by the gender industry 
and ignored by mainstream media and politicians on the left, bravely exposing the gender industry's lies. Well, you know, I gotta tell you, I kind of like that. It, it sounds sounds positive. Anyway, while most mainstream media outlets remain kind of hush-hush about it, they don't want to talk about the growing population of detransitioners, awareness is actually increasing despite their best efforts, along with the help of several new documentaries that have been released this year featuring the stories of some of these people who have detransitioned. Many of these detransitioners were struggling with mental health issues like depression and neurodevelopmental conditions like autism when they were pushed into transition. They were frequently introduced to transgender ideology through TikTok and YouTube and, of course, other social influences as well, but those were the two bigger ones. Many pursued chemical and surgical interventions. The healthcare professionals authorized these without proper evaluation that uh, later came back to uh, cause regret for these young people, at least young at the time. Some of the detransitioners were even wrongfully informed by their doctors that being transgender was a medical condition that requires medical intervention. People like Cleo Cole, an 18-year-old woman who was medically transitioned as a minor, whose doctors allegedly told her that she had a male brain in a female body, even though there's absolutely positively no empirical evidence that that is even a possibility. There is no evidence that suggests, no evidence that supports a biological basis for the politicalized gender identity. Cole created a fundraiser for an upcoming event to help pay for transportation and lodging for detransitioners across the United States so that they could attend the event. She said that the event is shaping up to be larger than the 2022 march, which was in Anaheim, where more than 150 Peaceful protesters, and I don't say peaceful sarcastically as I so often do. In, the, in this case, they really were peaceful. But more than 150 peaceful protesters showed up in Anaheim outside of the American Academy of Pediatrics conference in Southern California to object to the medical transition of trans-identifying minors, a position that the AAP has uncritically adopted. And if you'll recall, we did talk about that last year. Quoting here from Cole, she was speaking to the Daily Wire at the time, uh, just for proper credits. It is not an anti-trans rally. It is a call for caution around medical transitioning to prevent vulnerable individuals from being met with the same regret. Cole said that over 20 detransitioners have been confirmed to attend, including uh, some names uh, that some of you may recognize if you've been following this as a story. Uh, Luca Hen, uh, Prisha Mosley, Abel Garcia. 
She recently increased the fundraising gold after receiving threats from agitators. Oh, no, you're not trying to... <sighs> Chloe, Chloe, seriously, you want to tell me that somebody has threatened you? Some agitator is trying to put the kibosh on this event? You're just losing credibility here, Chloe. <laughs> Except for the fact we know that's exactly what people on the left do. They accuse us of being quick to violence, but as soon as something's happening that uh, hurts their sensitive, delicate sensibilities, well, they've got to do something, you know, like several of the agitators made insinuations of death, including a declaration, quote, over our dead body. And uh, one posted an image of a skull biting a knife that was captioned, Death Before Detransition. Um, it truly sounds like somebody who has not surgically mutilated themselves or undergone chemical castration. Um, yeah, I, probably just a really good ally. Because clearly, you're not somebody who's been there. Maybe you... She just sat down and shut up instead of threatening people that are just trying to make sure that the average citizen is aware that this isn't something that typically ends well because it's not something that typically ends well. And quite honestly, if you weren't afraid of uh, light being shined on it, I don't think you'd feel the need to try to make such threats. Uh, just an observation. Now, there were several mentions of fighting, including get into the fight, it's time to fight, and we go down, uh, and we will go down fighting, although it's unclear if they were figurative expressions. You see, I love and lament the fact that we can no longer just assume that these are just being used as a figure of speech, but even if we were to read that and think, ah, you know, they're just using metaphor, they're just speaking figuratively, according to the rules of the left, that's not allowed. Oh, wait, according to the rules of the left, it's not allowed for us. They're allowed to do whatever they like. I keep forgetting that. Some of the comments were more explicitly violent, however, not a lot of room for interpretation. Uh, things saying things like, um, they need their teeth punched out. Hope you know how to properly wash pepper sprayed eyes. Anyway, Cole, still talking to the Daily Wire, uh, said that regardless of the threats, she's very excited about the upcoming event being held in her home state. Saying that, quote, I have people threatening to assault me and pepper spray me. It doesn't matter what they do to me. As long as I'm alive, I'll be speaking out about this. I will always speak out on behalf of the others that don't have a voice. The kids, the families, the adults that have been affected by this will no longer suffer in silence. Uh, Cole, by the way, uh, had recently announced that she was suing the hospital and affiliated medical group that had medically transitioned her as a minor which included puberty-blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, and a double mastectomy surgery between the ages of 13 and 16, making it 
the first lawsuit of its kind in the United States, and long overdue, if you ask me. There are seven detransitioners in the United States, Canada and the UK, and most recently Spain, who have brought legal action against the medical providers that have facilitated their chemical and surgical transitions. While the exact number of detransitioners around the world is unknown and uh, more research is needed, the number appears to be steadily rising. In other words, the more people that have transitioned, the more people are discovering that it was a wrong move. And now they want to detransition. A forum was created in 2017 for detransitioners on Reddit, and it appears to be adding over a thousand members a month. It's already up to nearly 45,000 members at this moment. By now, especially by the time you hear this, it may have very well uh, surpassed that considerably. Studies have shown that a small rate of regret of medical transitions are often used by transgender activists to dismiss or diminish the experience of detransitioners. However, upon closer inspection, the two extensive studies that found 2% or less of individuals regret their transition surveyed adults, not the new adolescents and uh, this this whole new level of trending trans young kids, the, the minors that are being transitioned, they, they are the people that we should be the most concerned about because they are the people that we should be protecting the most. They're the people being pushed into this pipeline. They're not the ones that are looked at in this study. So that 2%, which is actually higher even among the adults anyway, it's, it's not going to be enough. Researchers recognize the short-term studies may underestimate detransition and regret because it can take up to a decade after treatment for some people to experience these outcomes. Additionally, some studies lose track of patients as they age out of the pediatric clinics. Two smaller studies in the UK reported that between 7 and 10 percent of patients initially assessed for gender-related medical services, later detransitioned. In the United States, a recent study found that 29% of 68 patients seeking medical transition care changed the, requests, changed the requests for hormone treatments, surgeries, or both. Another U.S. study from last year found that 30% of patients who commenced cross-sex hormone treatments discontinued it within four years for <clears throat> unknown reasons. According to the event flyer, attendees will be meeting on the west side of the Capitol building at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Cole's fundraiser has nearly reached its intended goal, and a representative of the official D-Trans Awareness Day website penned an article for the parents with inconvenient truths about trans substat with a helpful list of ways to show support for detransitioners during the week of March 12th. Uh, other upcoming events on Detrans Awareness Day also include a webinar by Beyond Transition, a GenSpec-affiliated organization that has helped over 100 detransitioners. Uh, that's taking place on March 12th of 2023 at 6 p.m., and uh, yeah, it's 
it's long overdue, and I'm glad to see it happening. I've got to take her real quickly. I don't really have but about a minute. So let me mention this one other story real quick, because it's it's the kind of thing that warms my heart. And it really sets a standard. Uh, what we have here is a varsity girls basketball team at a Christian high school in Vermont has forfeited a playoff game rather than compete against a team with a male participant. On the evening of February 21st, the number 12 Mid-Vermont Christian School Eagles of White River Junction were scheduled to take on the number 5 Long Trail Mountain Lions of Dorset in the first round of the Vermont Division IV Girls Varsity Tournament. However, the Eagles dropped out of the tournament and therefore forfeited their chance to compete for a state title after they learned that one of the members of the Mountain Lions is actually a male. They took a stand. Being highly ranked and being the sport of basketball, there was a really good chance these girls had a chance to run the table. But knowing that it wasn't going to be an even playing field, that it wasn't going to be fair, that this gender identity crap was again going to interfere with their ability to compete fairly, they did the hard thing and walked away. I would like to think that more of these schools will do the same. That's going to be it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much for uh, being here. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go,